when I did what Chris does, I'm sure he would tell you what I would tell you. As long as those retired pastors behave themselves, they're a blessing to the church. <laughs> and I'm grateful for the chance just to experience worship with you. It's, 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 it's a joy. It's a joy. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we continue to worship, I ask that if the words that I share, the message that I try to bring, is in your word and in your will, that you will plant it as a seed, help it to grow. But if those words and message are not in your word and will, then make them to be as a dry leaf, to be blown away in the wind, that no one will remember them. And I do pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in preparing for our time together, I'm sure I didn't strike upon anything that was terribly original, but it, it was something thoughtful for me. There are many things that we hold in common as just people, let alone people of God, but, but as people. And what came to me are two. We communicate by telling stories. We like to tell stories. Stories that say where we've come from, where we're going, how we got here, what we like or what has happened to us, pain, sorrow, joy, celebration. We're people of the story, and we do tell each other stories when we communicate well. And the other thing, we've all cried. We've all shared tears. We've all been part of that, the sharing of tears. And so in thinking about stories and tears, well, it just seemed like God's word always provides a, a key to the heart of something you want to get to. And, and for me, it became Psalm 56, verse 8. I'd like to share it with you. It's brief. But see whether or not it is something that could be part of you. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. A collection of tears, stories, tears. If you will remember last week when Richard shared with us, I remember two stories particularly. The first was how he got his first Cub Scout uniform. I remember that, and I liked it. But it was the second one that I remember that added to my collection of tears. As Richard shared how Pastor Chris was led to Christ by his mom. What a precious, precious memory. What a wonderful gift. 
stories can be hard and brittle, dark as coal. They can be joyous and lustrous and shiny like a diamond. They can make you laugh and they can make you cry. But stories are a part of us and our collection of tears, they're a part of us too. So, that you will know what we're going to do today, we're going to share three stories, and all of them have a collection of tears. The first story is about a cab driver who happened to be a woman, and the passenger she picked up, who was also a woman. It didn't take the cab driver long to note that this woman that she had picked up was having a bad time. Her heart was broken. She was weeping, tears just streaming down her face, just feeling like the world was crushing in on her and, and, and life was so hard. And, and the cab driver happened to be a disciple of Jesus. And so she, she reached out from driving and, and, and said to the woman, you know, what, is, what can I do? What is happening with you? And, and what is all this about? And, and the woman began just to pour out a stream of pain of how she had just messed up. Her life, full of opportunity, had broken before her. The things she thought she could do, she hadn't done. The things she should have done, she didn't do. The disappointment that she had caused, the pain, the sorrow, the guilt, the, the, all the things you can imagine. And she just poured that out in a stream of consciousness. It just kept going. And the cab driver tried as a disciple to witness to the woman, to tell her about Jesus and, and how Jesus was, a, was, was a, one who would love her and comfort her and would come and be with her and, and could be her savior. And, and the woman just simply was so distraught and she, she was trying, I think, to hear it, but no matter what the, the woman at the wheel tried to say, the tears and the agony just kept pouring forth. And, and finally, you know, the woman said to the cab driver, it's all right for you to say that. You, you are a good person. You, you obviously are someone that God could love. You are somebody that hasn't failed him like I failed him and broken so many promises. You are, you are somebody whose life was, was probably pleasant and good. And, 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 and why would God want me? I've let him down. Why would Jesus be one that would want to embrace and hold me? I have stepped apart from him. I have failed everybody. My life is ugly. And the woman as, that was driving, the cab driver, was trying to find words to answer that. How can Jesus love me the way I am in my ugliness and, and how my life has been so disappointing to him? And, and, and she was asking God to give her words. And you know, I believe in a Holy Spirit that can be present in a church, but I also believe in the Holy Spirit who will be present in a cab. And when you ask God for help, God is there and God is, is for you and with you and and. So there it was, and she was praying that the Holy Spirit might just, just give her the words. And then in the discerning part of her heart, she heard the Spirit speak. And the Spirit said to her, not with words, with a song.
something beautiful. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, brings something beautiful if our hearts are willing to receive it. Even in a cab, something beautiful of your life. Collection of tears, a story. Second one comes from Luke, a wonderful storyteller. Luke begins the story very simply. He said, a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to dinner. Sounds innocent enough to me, doesn't it? I mean, he invited Jesus to dinner. He surely had good intentions, didn't he? Well, if you could have listened to Luke's thought, I mean, to, to Simon's thoughts, you might not have thought so. You see, Simon, being a Pharisee, and by the way, you, you know things about Simon because he's a Pharisee. I know things about Simon. First of all, I know how he was dressed because Pharisees always wore blue. That was the Pharisee color. But a Pharisee always wore a robe that was outdated to show that he was humble. Except that on the sleeves of that robe, he always had bells sewn in so that when he offered a poor man a little coin or something, he would wring his arms and everybody would look over and say, there's a good man. Pharisees were judgmental. They were harsh. And this Pharisee had sized up Jesus. He decided that this Jesus did not deserve to be called rabbi, teacher. He didn't even deserve to be called rab, instructor. As a matter of fact, Simon probably thought Jesus was a fraud. So Simon planned a dinner party. A dinner party that he invited people who would come together with him and see what a prankster and fraud this Jesus really was. He had it all worked out. He was certain he had everything that he needed for the occasion. He had planned the guest list well. Simon, however, had neglected one simple thought. He hadn't taken God into the equation. And God had planned a different guest list. And so if you look into the heart of the scripture story in Luke, you will see that, one, it's important to note they ate in the courtyard. That's important because a courtyard was open territory. No one could be barred from entering the courtyard of anyone's house. There was an open door policy of the courtyard. Inside the house, no. Courtyard, open. This woman that was coming, not invited, not wanted, seen as dirty, despicable, an ugly life, someone you wouldn't want, near respectable people. She was certainly not invited but she was certainly coming. Into the courtyard she came. I, I want you to look closely because she brings with her two things. Both hands are filled. One has a bottle and the other an alabaster flask. The bottle holds every tear she has ever cried. It was the custom of the people of Jesus' time to collect their tears and they would put them in a bottle. It was so much of a custom that it was said that when they died, they were buried with their bottle of tears. The woman was coming 
with a bottle of tears and an alabaster flask. Tears are interesting. I, 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 I tell you, I didn't know much about tears, but I read an interesting thing just, just the other day. Do you know that when you are preparing your Thanksgiving dinner and you cut up an onion, you will often tear up, won't you? But then when your heart has been touched by something that just makes you just weep. Do you know that under a microscope, those tears have different molecular structures? They're different. They're different. The tears that wash out our eyes are different from the tears that wash our hearts. They're different. This woman's bottle of tears did not have the eye-washing kind. This was the brokenness of a life. This was the disappointment. This was the hurt. This was all the shame. This was the guilt. This was all the judgment. And so she came and she fell at Jesus' feet and the Pharisees that were there and all the judgmental people looked at her and probably sniffed a loud sniff and wondered what she was up to and why she was doing it and why Jesus was letting her do it. Just said that he was what they thought he was. He was not really religious. And then she opened the flask of her tear bottle and she poured the tears on the dusty feet of Jesus. And then Simon could have offered her a cloth to clean it with, but he didn't. And so she let down her hair and she wiped that dirty mess off of his feet with her hair. And she kissed his feet, which again in the time of Jesus was a, a way of saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And then she reached over, and it would have been a shock, remember, for her to have poured out her tears. The Pharisees all knew about tears. That was a shock, but what was really the stunner was what she did next. She took the alabaster flask. Every little girl in the time of Jesus, if, if the parents could afford it, was, was given an alabaster flask. It contained a precious ointment. It was meant for two things. One, it was part of the marriage cycle. If a young man or older man proposed to an eligible lady and she accepted the proposal, she would open up the once-in-a-lifetime flask and let the sweetness pour forth. And by doing that, she was saying to him, I accept you. I pledge my life to you. I will love you. The alabaster flask was the most precious gift that she could bring to the marriage. If she did not do that in marriage, and she had been someone who had committed sins, moral sins, if she took that flask unopened and handed it to a priest, all those sins would be forgiven. It was precious. And here is a woman known to be a sinner who has no husband, who is alone, and maybe still dreaming of that day, who at the feet of Jesus opens up that flask. It can never be put back together again. And she poured out all of the dreams and all of the hopes that that flask represented onto the feet of Jesus. And she was saying to him, I accept you. I will love you. 
I believe you are who you say you are, and I will ever be yours. And she poured out her heart. And the Pharisees and their crowd scoffed. What, what can this be? How can a rabbi allow a woman to touch him like this? It was unspeakable. A rabbi didn't speak to a woman except his wife and then only in private. There were some pretty stringent religious rules that Jesus chose to disregard. He looked down at the woman. Your sins are forgiven. What manner of man is this? Who should say your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins, thought Simon. Well, he got at least one thing right. Only God can forgive sins. He just didn't recognize when God came visiting. And Jesus, loving the woman, and feeling the judgment that poured off of Simon and the other crew, said to them, I've got a question, Simon. Well, ring your bells here, Simon. Everybody's going to look at you. Answer me a question. There were two people who had a debt to a rich man. Oh, let's make it up. One owed a hundred dollars. The other owed a million. And he forgave them both. Simon, which one of these two will love him more? And you can imagine Simon, old pompous, pious, full of himself, Simon, going, well, I suspect. The one that got forgiven a million dollars. You have answered correctly, Simon. Well done. So why, why you who thinks you have nothing to lay before the feet of God should be grudged that God could look at the heart of a woman who has been broken and say to her, your sins are forgiven. But then, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven or this? Go in peace. Go and feel peace. Go and feel whole. Go and feel that God has touched your life. And that's what the woman felt in the embracing love of a Savior who can say, you are forgiven. Given, go in peace. You are whole. You are loved. Because Simon, when I came into your house and my feet were dirty, you didn't even offer to give me water to clean my feet. When I stepped across your threshold, you did not offer me olive oil as a sign of respect. This woman washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. This woman poured out the best gift she had. And you, Simon, you gave nothing. Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And there was a woman who went in peace and knew where her heart was kept precious. A collection of tears and a story. Third story, and collection of tears. No one likes to hear the phone ring in the middle of the night. 
It's never good news, is it? It's never. And Pastor Chris can tell you that as a pastor, when it rings in the middle of the night, you know it can't be good. It just can't be. And so when the phone rang and I answered it, I, I knew it would be bad. The voice at the other end was garbled. It was, it was broken. It, it was, it was, I couldn't hardly understand what she was saying. But eventually I gathered that, that her husband was driving. She was the passenger on the phone. They were going to their, their young people, to the, their son and his wife. They were, they were going and they had to go because of a great tragedy. And they needed prayer and they needed words and they needed comfort and they didn't know what all they needed, but whatever it was, they needed it. And somehow they needed to know that God could somehow get them there and be with them. And the story began to unfold, as stories always do. And the collection of tears was mounting as they shared that they were on their way to their young people's house, their only grandchild, little one. She'd gotten sick. Well, you go to the doctor, get a prescription. They did that. These, these were good parents loving grandparents and, and, and good parents that cared for this little child. and They did all the right things. They, they, they took her to the doctor. They got the prescription. And it was terrible what happened. It, it was not intentional. It was, it was a tragedy. It, it was never meant to be, but, but it happened that somehow the pharmacy gave the wrong prescription. And she was allergic to it. The parents realized and rushed her to the hospital, but and now the grandparents were in a car going into that tragedy to try to bring some comfort to what can't be comforted. And they needed prayer. We were within weeks of making another pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and they were to go, the grandparents. And they came after a few days and said, well, you understand, we, we just simply can't. We just couldn't. We just can't do that. And you accept that, and you know that, and you don't argue with that. But then about another week went by, and they came back, and they said, well, we've been talking to our children, and, and they... They think we should go. In fact, they've said we should go and we should find a miracle. So we're going to go. We're going to go on pilgrimage and trust God to give us a miracle. So we were in Israel. I was in charge of the bus. Man, I could tell the guide and the driver things that I wanted to have happen. And they told the guide, we're looking for a miracle. Not an easy task, is it, to find a miracle even in the land of Jesus. We, we went to some wonderful places. At the Church of the Nativity, there were some who found their miracle, their moment, but not them. We passed through the Garden of Gethsemane. There were some who found their miracle their moment, 
not them. The church of the resurrection on the stations of the cross. Some found their miracle, their moment. Not them. The Mount of Olives, the next to the last day. Some found their miracle, their moment. Not them. That was the one afternoon that Sharon and I always had available to us. All the rest of the bus was going on to Masada. We always went into the old city of Jerusalem by ourselves and walked around. It was our time. Couldn't send this couple. Couldn't send them to Masada, a place of death. Couldn't do it. Asked them if they would spend the afternoon with us. They agreed that they would. We were standing on the Mount of Olives. The bus left with all the rest. It was my son, Sharon, and I, and this nice, wonderful couple. No miracles yet, but you hope. We walked down the Pilgrim's Way, the, the way of Palm Sunday. From the Mount of Olives, you make your way down to the old city of Jerusalem. We stopped at the place where Jesus wept over an entire city, a place that commemorates that special, no miracle. We made our way past other little markers and we came at last to Gethsemane. It's always, Gethsemane's always been one of my favorite places. It's that place with the twisted olive trees 2,000 years old. It, it's that place where Jesus prayed so hard that blood flowed. But you see the gate to Gethsemane was locked with a tall, great gate. We, like children looking in, just stood at the gate looking in at those twisted olive trees and then he came, just a fellow who just came from I don't know where, who was the caretaker of Gethsemane. He, uh, he came up and he said, you've been here before. I figure he's seen a million people. But I said, yes, I've been here about, I don't know, six, seven times, yes. And he kind of nodded. And I want you to hear what he said. You need to go in there. You need to go in there. And he took out a belt full of, ring full of keys. And he put the key into this, this lock and he opened it. And swung the gate open and said, I trust you because you need to go in there. And the Holy Spirit, who can be present in a cab, or in a church, or in a courtyard, will be present also, I believe, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we went into the gates, and he closed them behind us and locked them. And there we were. Five people in the Garden of Gethsemane. I have never seen Gethsemane that it wasn't crowded with people seeking their miracle. But there we were, five of us, and each in our own way, seeking prayer and seeking meaning. And, and, and then with this couple, as they poured out their prayer, 
to the God who is present, to the Jesus who gathers with us as they dumped, poured out, released a collection of tears. Then prayed together quietly while we stepped aside, stood up and said, we can't explain, but we certainly do feel that the God of peace has come to us. Peace that we as Christians cannot explain. It's beyond explanation. We know it, we feel it, we believe it, we experience it. We can't defend it, we can't really describe it, we just know when it's there. It's a peace beyond understanding. And they said when we've prayed about the real miracle, but they said nothing more. But it was enough. It was enough. We had been home about a month, and they came to church as usual, and, and in a quiet moment, they said, God, God has given us a miracle. My first thought was it was peace, it was release. But God is generous. God is so generous. Eight months later, when they held their new baby, they looked into the face. of tears, a story, a God who can come into such brokenness and make something beautiful. What a God, what a Savior, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion. He understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. That is our God. That is our Savior. Three stories. Three collections of tears. But there's a fourth if you want it. Because sometimes you and I, we hold our collection of tears too. And sometimes you and I don't know what to do with them. And so as we bring our time with Jesus to an ending, let me invite you to be in prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, would just so surround us, and that Jesus, the forgiver, the lover, the source of all that we are, that you would feel him next to you, and that you and I might be as bold as a woman in a courtyard and pour out our collection of tears and ask Jesus, 
to make something beautiful. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come and touch the lives of we who gather in your midst. For we claim the great promise that where two or more are gathered, there the Savior is, beside each one, receiving the tears, receiving the doubt. May we be like the woman and kiss your feet and say, forgive us. Forgive me. May we be like the woman who pouring out the gift of her life, the ointment of alabaster, may we say, I accept you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I feel your forgiveness. I feel your love. You can and do make something beautiful of my life. And in the strong name of Jesus, loved, held, made whole.